0: Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast with the goal to hold the scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright.
1: My name is Logan Battisti
0: And we are coming to you on a beautiful spring day.
1: On a wonderful Saturday evening where we both went out and played disc golf. We did. And for those of you who wonder, the beginning of this is not like pre-recorded at all. This is exactly how it goes every time.
0: I even hold my little sticky note up here to make sure I don't mess up.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's what my sister-in-law accused you of. was just like, it sounds so same and so boring and so monotonous.
0: I need to say it with more enthusiasm.
1: Maybe you're just, I don't know. We'll figure out how to change.
0: Maybe you get my, my like WWE <laughs> voice. <laughs> Your
1: radio announcing
0: yeah. voice. Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast. That would be interesting. We're yeah. Not- I'm going to have to work on that a little bit.
1: Learn some different accents to do it in, too.
0: I don't know if those would be very beneficial.
1: <laughs> probably not at yeah. all. I mean, we'll have, see how my ending goes later. It probably won't make it much any <laughs> better, either.
0: <laughs> It'll get more comic relief than anything. It'll break it up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's just a slap happy at the time we're recording. Yeah, that's true. No, no, we were had a beautiful afternoon of playing disc golf out in Lebanon, at the mm-hmm. Jared Hilton Memorial Course, mm-hmm. I kind of started to get the roots out and people hooked into disc golf. Yep,
0: yeah. Logan got me to buy a set and uh, it's, uh, I mean, I've used it twice. It's not really helping.
1: <laughs> first off, it was like, when I first met you guys, it was like katana in sequence yeah. and now it's gone to disc golf. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. We got hooked on Catan, and that was a rough phase in our life. We oh. spent a lot of money on Catan. Yeah. Because we had the Catan. We had the, uh, of course, you know, you buy you buy the original. You have to buy the expansion pack.
1: Right. So you can have six people play. Now,
0: obviously. And then when you buy the expansion pack, um, you know, you start, then you see all the other cool stuff. And so we had to get pirates.
1: Yeah. Which we've only played like twice per... I think I think we've only played it twice with you.
0: Yeah. And then once we bought that, there was, I think, the expansion pack for the Pirates. Yeah. And so...
1: Of yeah. course, you had to buy that so you could have everybody I mean, play. Yeah.
0: It was natural. And I mean, it's fun. That Pirate one is fun, but... Wow.
1: It takes so long.
0: Man, it takes a long time. But
1: then again, we just spent like three and a half hours playing this cult today. <laughs> it's
0: true. It's true, but it's hard to be focused like that when you have little ones. Uh-huh. Running around. Because you got to be focused in on the Pirate Catan. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts there.
1: Between five kids, I don't know how we could even play that anymore. Because mm. Mega Man and have three, one, and one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Back in our glory days, in our partying days, where we stayed up late and played Catan for hours.
1: Right? I couldn't even do that anymore if I wanted to.
0: There always comes to that point a Catan... Mm-hmm. where everyone is surrounded by that one element. And then they just keep getting that one element. And everyone wants like the brick.
1: I don't want your stinking sheep. I don't want your stinking sheep. <laughs> right. Nah. What's some good books you've been reading lately? Or have you been reading any good books?
0: Well, I've been reading a lot of school books. I haven't been reading much personally.
1: What school books have you been reading?
0: Been reading, actually, uh, Christian historiography which is, I know that doesn't sound really fascinating at all, but it's been pretty interesting about certain aspects of history Mm -hmm. um, through secular lenses and Christian lenses.
1: Oh, cool. That could be interesting.
0: And the objective and the discipline is to remove yourself from your biases. Right. And to be aware of your biases. Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: that was one thing I was thankful for in high school was mm -hmm. I had a world history honors class, and the teacher there, was an outspoken atheist. Like everybody mm-hmm. knew he was an atheist. My parents didn't like that I was in his class. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of cool to see how he had gone over like major movements mm-hmm. throughout history from like Egypt and so on and so forth and kind of pointed out like a Christian thing from that side. It was kind of nice to see from his perspective. What Christianity was because I'm definitely biased growing up in a Christian home and that's all I've ever known.
0: I think that's the first thing from studying history that really they've tried to drill into you is that no matter what you're always biased Mm -hmm. you know to be completely neutral is 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 a myth it just can't happen we all have our own worldviews we all have our own baggage when we come to not just I mean to any text period and if we're not aware of our biases or backgrounds You know, we were looking through the world in our rose-colored glasses, and we can't see the tint.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. What
0: what about you, though? Have you been reading anything good?
1: Actually, neither one of them have been Christian books, but they've been books about wealth and money. I read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Hmm. and then The Richest Man in Babylon, which both seem to tell pretty much the same story. (laughs) One just tells it from like an ancient Babylon perspective where they tell tales about people in Babylon and how they taught wealth. Hmm. And then rich dad, poor dad was a man talking about the advice he got from both of his fathers on how to build wealth.
2: Hmm.
1: And the rich dad was obviously the more one he listened to more than the poor one. Hmm. But the poor one gave him some good perspectives that he hadn't thought of before.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is coming around at a time where some things have come up and kind of looking forward to see how they work.
0: Yeah. You going to stumble into a bunch of wealth? I wish. Oh, I was just hoping for you.
1: <laughs> Me too. It'd be nice <laughs> to win the lottery every once in a while, just but that. I wouldn't know what to do with it.
0: No. I wouldn't know either. I'd just kind of sit there in awe.
1: Yeah, the fact that I even want it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Some people are like, I'd buy a new house. And so on. I'm like, I probably wouldn't buy a new house. I just wouldn't. I don't actually know what I'd do with it.
1: Right. Me really neither. I don't. <laughs> but. Excuse me. That came over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But so speaking of wealth, I mean, let's go ahead and start off with Lamentations 4. Yeah. And Colton, give us a recap of what's going on here in Lamentations of so Arkas we obviously haven't been up to date on this as much as we would like to mm-hmm. with life getting in the way and things like that but see if you can give us a short review from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3 of what's been going on kind of
0: so in chapter 1 in chapter 1 and chapter 2 we've seen just the sorrows that Jerusalem is Is kind of fallen into. We've seen the author, Jeremiah, jump in and out from both a personal standpoint to also a third person. So he's put himself in the shoes of Jerusalem, and he's taken himself out, and he's kind of shown, through those two perspectives, the pain and agony that these people are experiencing. As he describes in chapter one, he says, just starting off, how lonely sits a city that was full of people who has become like a widow, So you see the loss, and he goes on to describe this type of loss, this pain, this agony, all the way through chapter 1. And chapter 2 kind of boils over to the anger of God, and it says, How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud of his anger. He has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel, and he has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. So you see that the Lord is angry over Israel and he's punishing them for their covenant breaking. And then through this big long tale and this lavishing and this anguish, in chapter 3 it comes to the pinnacle point where Jeremiah now personifies the pain. He now puts himself in the shoes of the people and he says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Through this chapter, he explains himself in the way of Israel. By doing that, he's showing his pain with the nation, that he's not removed from the nation as a man of God, that he's actually in the nation, suffering with the nation.
1: Right, which is one of the reasons why most people appoint to Lamentations as being written by Jeremiah, because most of the things that the author writes here in chapter 3 is stuff that Jeremiah has gone through.
0: Yeah, you see the, the pain, the agony... And then yet you see in the middle of chapter three, this flash of absolute beauty. You see the kind of the high point of the entire book. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. Verse 22, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So you see, he just captures the Lord's loving kindness his covenantal, unceasing love for his people, even amidst their covenant-breaking and rebellion.
1: Right, and I think that's a major theme that we like to point out here in Lamentations is that the author isn't blaming God for why is this happening. The fact is that the author knows exactly what is going on and what is happening, why Babylon is besieging Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And it's not just because Babylon is going out willy-nilly and doing this, Mm -hmm. but because God is using Babylon as a tool of judgment to proclaim judgment Mm -hmm. upon Jerusalem for the sins that she has committed.
0: Mm -hmm. They had entered a covenant together, and they have broken that covenant, they were made aware of what would happen if they broke the covenant.
1: Over and over Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm.
0: But yet the Lord, even in their despicable rebellion, still remembers his side.
1: Right. And I mean, we'll even get to see a little bit of that going into chapter four. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of it, you'll get to see that kind of glimmer of hope that God isn't completely done with Israel. God hasn't forgotten his covenant.
0: Mm -hmm. So saying that, getting us a recap, why don't you start us with chapter four?
1: Okay, let's go ahead and do verses. I'll read one through 12. Okay. Perfect. How dark the gold has become, how the pure gold has changed. The sacred stones are poured out at the corner of every street. The precious sons of Zion weighed against fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen jars, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those reared in purple embrace ash pits. For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands were turned toward her. Her consecrated ones were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than corals. Their polishing was like Lapis lazuli. Their appearance is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It is withered. It has become like wood. Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger, for they pine away being stricken for the lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has accomplished his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger and he has kindled a fire in Zion, which has consumed its foundation. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the inhabitants of the world, that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem.
0: Just a beautiful, I mean, not a beautiful, just a, (laughs) that's not a good word to use, (laughs) such an awestruck contrast between how dark the gold gold has become and the pure gold has changed. You have gold to earthen vessels, earthen jars. You know, this fine, precious metal sought after is waste to nothing.
1: Right. And it's kind of pointing out back towards chapter one. We talk about how Zion had become a widow. Mm -hmm. Well, once before, she was a proud woman who was strutting in front of the nations. Mm -hmm. But the problem was, what did she do when she was in front of the nations? She gave herself away. She prostituted herself out to the nations instead of to God.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which if you realize what the point of Israel was to do and what the point of Christians and basically everybody who God has been in covenant with is that they're supposed to be an image of what a right relationship with God is. Mm -hmm. And the part of the covenant that God had with Israel was that they were supposed to show Egypt and Mesopotamia what it looked like to be in a right relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And ultimately time and time again, they failed because they don't, keep his commandments, they don't follow his word, and they ultimately fail. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, just because they fail doesn't mean God does.
0: No, that's the wonderful thing. If you can take something from the entire book of Lamentations here, through that pain and suffering, no matter how far and despicable you've fallen, the Lord is still gracious. They had been given the law, forsaken everything, and were under severe punishment, Just punishment for what had happened to the point that they really couldn't say, you know, why are you doing this to me? But the Lord still remembered his promises and he was still extending grace and mercy to them.
1: Mm -hmm. Before we go on too further, there was something I realized that we needed to talk about while we're looking over this past. So you've been, you studied Hebrews, right? Mm -hmm. And you talked about how Jesus fulfills three things, right? Mm -hmm. He fulfills. prophet. A prophet. He fulfills being a priest. Mm -hmm. And he fulfills being a king. Mm -hmm. Those three keys of leadership are actually also here in Luke chapter 4.
0: They're in, oh, in Luke chapter 4?
1: Or not Luke chapter 4. I was like, what? Lamentations (laughs) chapter (laughs) 4.
0: Okay. I was like, Luke chapter 4. Well, when did we (laughs) jump to
1: that? No, Lamentations chapter 4. I'm sure the Gospels are fulfilled with plenty of ways that he fulfills (laughs) all three of those. But Lamentations 4 shows how all three the men who are in this office have actually failed Mm -hmm. as leaders of Israel. So could you kind of give us a glimpse into what those three offices were supposed to do?
0: Your prophets are supposed to hear from the Lord directly. And they were to convey to the King and everyone else, the words of the Lord, despite how hard it would be. Mm -hmm. You know, there no watering down, whatever the Lord said is exactly what you spoke. And they were to do the commands of the Lord directly
1: Kind of like, so Jeremiah was supposed to warn the people of what's going on in Babylon. Yes. And they didn't listen. He got thrown into a pit, into a well, and then was persecuted still by his own people for what he was telling them.
0: Mm -hmm. You had uh, Jeremiah... When he do, he slept on his side for. I think that was Ezekiel. Was it Ezekiel? I was thinking Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah, Ezekiel
1: would sleep on one side for so long, and then the other, and Mm then it's supposed to equal like four hundred and thirty years or something like that.
0: And so he went through all this pain and this suffering because the Lord told him to. And what was the point of it? His life was a living example for Israel. And you know, at that point, it was not a good example, but it was still an example. Right. And prophets were supposed to be the voice piece, the mouthpiece, and they were supposed to walk in the ways of the Lord entirely.
1: Okay. What about priests? The priests
0: were to offer sacrifices to the Lord and mediate between God and men. So they filled the gap between when a man sins, how does he make atonement? How does he appease God? How does he come from his wrath into his mercy, and they filled that gap by offering sacrifices and prayers and petitions.
1: Right, so I mean, obviously, Moses wasn't specifically called a priest, but he was definitely a mediator mm-hmm. between God and the people. Time and time again, you see that Moses would intercede for Israel and the wrath that they had done before God. When God wanted to smite them, Moses would say, no, remember your covenant with him. What would the other people think if you led those people out of Egypt, but you can bring them into the land that you had promised.
0: Mm-hmm. When you think of Moses, you really see him as, it might be a stretch, but he, in a foreshadow, is kind of a prophet, priest, and king in a sense.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Small, each one of those. Small He was
1: probably the best representation out of Israel.
0: Out of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then that brings us to the king.
1: Right. Which most people all the time would refer to King David.
0: King David, who is the archetype, he is the, and this is air quotes, perfect king of Israel. You know, in a sense, he is the epitome of what a king should be. Granted, I know there's the downside, but he is the king when it's put forward.
1: I mean, he is the man who is really after God's own heart. I mean, he is the one who's supposed to lead the people to keep them pointed in line with what the priest and the prophets are saying and telling him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see all three of them kind of saying this loosely, have a Trinitarian focus of how they are supposed to lead the people of Israel in their relationship with God.
0: And each one of those is supposed to be separate in the sense that, I mean, what happened to Saul, I mean, why are they supposed to be separate? Because if you had a if a king could offer sacrifices, there'd be no checks and balances. Let me try to say it that way. Right. The king would domineer, he'd have more power. If a priest could make laws and do XYZ, he would domineer. If a prophet could rule, he'd become a dictator. And so these three offices were separated because of men's sinful actions. And you can see what happens when those go back and forth. What happens when a king tries to become a priest? Well, it doesn't go very well. You see Saul try to offer, or he does offer sacrifices, and what happens? That's what gets him removed. Out of God's favor. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And what happens when even David doesn't listen and tries to be a priest in a sense and move the Ark of the Covenant? He tries to move the Ark of the Covenant and he doesn't listen. He he doesn't have the priest do it. He takes charge and does all these things, and what happens? The Ark falls. Is it uses The guy's name. Ahaz. Ahab. Gosh, I can't I think of the guy's know. name. The, 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 I just
1: know it falls into the Philistines' hands at some point in time.
0: But he didn't listen to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Priests were supposed to be the only ones moving the ark. They are supposed to be the ones moving the ark, period. He took that upon himself to do it. Mm. So he crossed that line. You have it in, I mean, if you want to make the jump to Jonah, who was supposed to be a prophet, and what would he do? He ran away from his post. Mm -hmm. And what happens? Punishment. Right. Strict punishment. To the point that he tries to be the judge and executioner. He tries to be, in a sense, a king. He tries to exact punishment upon Nineveh by not giving God's law to them. Right. Or not giving God, not giving the proclamation. Right, that God
1: wanted him to give, yeah. Yeah. Hmm, So you
0: you can see a violation and what happens when those violations happen and how they're supposed to be separate at the same time.
1: Right. But yeah, I asked one to get a glimpse of what those were just because you'll see after the next verses we read that it's kind of talked about prophets and priests. And if you don't understand at least the general idea of what they're supposed to do, then you'll kind of miss the whole point of what's going on there. So back to where we were just a second ago, talking about how Israel has been marred, or the image of Israel has been marred. Lamentations goes over and over again. Mm -hmm. Now in chapter two, we kind of see that he goes into this a little bit, about how people were eating their own young Mm -hmm. and killing them. But now you kind of get like a clear picture of what's going on where it says even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young, Mm -hmm. but the daughter of my people has become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. I can't imagine the type of hunger, the type of desperation that they were going through. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, one of our instincts for their survival is to take care of our young, correct? I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, there's not a whole lot that we wouldn't want to do for our daughters. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife's watching Monk right now. Mm-hmm. And it's an episode about how there's three Julie Taggers in the area. And two of them die on the same day. Hmm. And so obviously... The mother of Julie Tigger is like, oh my goodness, where's my daughter? So she takes the captain's new shiny (laughs) charger that he just bought and drives it and pretty much almost totals it (laughs) by the end of the day. But it's not her car. I mean, I can think of in her situation, like, what would I do if that was my daughter?
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, would
1: I not do the same thing? Rush to her aid because I heard her name coming over a police radio saying, This person's been an accident. Oh, what?
0: Yeah. You would do anything, anything to get to her. Mm-hmm. Anything at all. Risk life, limb, you know, whatever you had to do to secure the safety of your child. Now,
1: I can't say that's guaranteed for every 100% parents because I know that there are stories where that is not the case,
0: but... No, but I think a natural just instinct is to love your offspring. You know, a, that is something that you created. It's something that is just a piece of you in one small sense, in a very small, small sense. You get to experience for one millisecond the true love of God, you know, in a limited sense mm-hmm. when you look at your own child. Right. And, I mean, to hear when you have, you know, the roof of its mouth, the roof sticks to the infant's mouth, you know, and then little ones ask for bread. I mean, that's indicating there's a—the little ones are hungry and they're thirsty— But why would they be hungry and thirsty? I think you could say for almost two reasons. One, yes, the food is probably scarce. But two, who's supposed to be taking care of them? You know, these people that are supposed to be taking care of these young infants are actually gone. The death toll has reached such a high that you have so many orphans, so many children without parents.
1: And there's no way to feed them all. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting in the fact that the people of Zion and Jerusalem are being compared to wild jackals. That they're mm. even worse than wild jackals. Yeah. That the jackal will feed their young, but not even Jerusalem will feed theirs. Mm. I can't imagine like being compared to that at all, or even being claimed that. No. I mean, I absolutely know that I'm not a perfect parent, but to go that far, and to have a situation... Put me into where I would have to do that. It's just a scary thought.
0: I don't think I would like being called a jackal.
1: No. Or I don't know even, much
0: about jackals, but I wouldn't like that.
1: Or even to the point of like where there's not enough food, there's not enough anything that I wouldn't even want my child to survive into that. Mm-hmm. If, we'll skip down to where it was for a little, little bit. It says, The hands of compassionate woman boiled their own children for food. Mm-hmm. Because of the destruction of the daughter of my people.
0: That's that's a low. I mean, I couldn't. I'm, I mean, that is beyond my imagination to think of something like that.
1: To feel so hungry, to have a need that great that you mm-hmm. do anything for food.
0: That reminds me of. I don't know how familiar you are with Josephus and his writings.
1: I mean, I know, I know who he is. I
0: in one of his books he mentions in the siege of Jerusalem, when the Roman army finally does break through the walls and they come through
1: in eighty seventy or in eighty or... seventy mm-hmm.
0: of the destruction. And and as they're ransacking everything, there was women in the streets offering, you know, stew, and in the stew was their own children, you know, because they had been so starved. And you know, this is hundreds of years later, but this happened then and it happened Again. Again. And so it's just so crazy to think just this happening once for it to happen twice. I mean, and this probably happened way more than twice, but just to think about
1: that. Wow. Yeah. And I know that there's people out there who like, why would a God push his people so far that, that they would even want to kill their children? Yeah. Obviously, I know lamentation paints God in a terrible, wrathful Mm -hmm. picture but it's something that we need to remember that god is a god of wrath and judgment just as Mm -hmm. much as he is a god of love yeah in fact he can't be a god of love if he doesn't have wrath and judgment at the same time
0: i think we get so focused on god is love that for some reason we tend to think that we are like love too that we are at some point of some type of neutrality with god in the sense that we don't realize our own depravity, we try to continually say, "I realize I've sinned, I realize I've done bad, but it's not really that bad. you know there's always someone worse than me
1: right. We love to compare ourselves to yeah. other people, to make ourselves feel better and to feel like we're have a common ground of, okay, this is what a, the ideas I have of love, of judgment, of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. and these are the standards that God must meet. Mm-hmm. when in fact we forget that god sets those standards for all those things and we might be able to understand a little bit but we can't understand it perfectly
0: no and it, it amazes me when we can read lamentations and we can say and i'll, I'll be i've been guilty of it too is reading lamentations and saying man god was so wrathful but don't realize that these people were so despicable and then i think to myself i'm so despicable the only thing that separates anybody in the world from what is happening right here which is just judgment not even carried out to its full ex- extent i mean realize that for a second this isn't even this isn't even like god's perfect justice exacted
1: right this is still mercy and grace if we really thought about it they shouldn't have even made it this far. <laughs> no they shouldn't have even made it this far
0: this, the pits of hell should have just ripped open and descended every single one of us in there. But that's not the case.
1: No, not at all.
0: And so it's to read anything and say, wow, God's being wrathful. We're not understanding our own sin in light of God's glory and majesty.
1: Right, absolutely. So it goes on and talks about those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those reared in purple embrace ash pits. For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom, Mm. which was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands were turned toward her. I mean, think about that for a second. If we remember, Judah was overthrown after Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, we understand that the two kingdoms at the time were divided, and they're not one Israel anymore with Ten tribes making up the north and Judah and I think the other tribe was Benjamin or something in the south. And either a hundred or a couple hundred years after Israel had fallen to the Syrians, that it was then it was when Babylon overthrew them. Now, I can't remember. It might have been Ezekiel, which had pointed it out, talking about how Israel and Judah were compared to prostitutes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't remember the exact names or what chapter, but he's talking about how the first one had whored around, and then Judah, likewise, seeing that, went around and did it as well, and in fact, did even worse abominations than Israel. But it's crazy to see that Israel has literally just been putting these shoes of where, in their conquest of Canaan, where they were told not to do the exact things of the people around them. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they do things even worse than the people who were there originally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it blows my mind. But it also paints to the picture of how much we forget. Once Israel had conquest Canaan, it's not even like one or two generations later But they're literally following their own hearts again in Judges. Each one is turned aside to do what's right in his own eyes. Right. And this was the time before the kings. Yet the Judges are sent time and time again in this ever-rotating circle of where God redeems them. Yet the people forget them. God redeems them again. But if you keep in mind each time that the Judges aren't even any better than Israel. I mean... Yes, they start off good and following God, but slowly over time, each one becomes more depraved mm-hmm. with the last one being Samson, and he's probably the worst judge of them all. He saves his people, yes, yeah, but he but he's a terrible, sinful man, just like the rest of Israel,
0: supposed to be a Nazarite, and he breaks that vow over and over and over again and
1: yes, and God uses that to save his people, obviously, yeah. but keep in mind that it is still a terrible thing that Samson does most yeah. of the time.
0: You don't walk away and, wow, he's a really good guy, you know? That's one of my problems I have with a lot of Christian TV shows today is when they try to idolize someone from the Old Testament like that, like a Samson, because I've seen it. There's actually a TV show out there that's Samson, and it's like a, I'm not talking about the uh, the big Hollywood one, but it's mm-hmm. actually like a real life, you know, today modern Samson, and it's like promoting it as if. He's a good guy. And it's like, no, no, that's not, that's not, you can't do that.
1: Right. Go ahead and continue on with verse 7.
0: Verse 7. Yep. Oops.
1: Oh, sorry. Were you looking up something else? Yeah,
0: sorry, I was looking. (laughs) Just you saying that reminded me of Romans chapter 2. You're talking about how when they entered the land, they were told to do this, and they end up being worse. Mm-hmm. and Paul in Romans chapter 2 when he comes to the law and what benefit is the law and he says to the Jews when he turns his whole argument to the Jews in chapter 2 verse 17 he says but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness a corrector of foolishness a teacher of immature." having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Who who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, though you are breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Essentially, Paul just brings to light the true heart of the issue that just because the law is given to you or you're the people of God and you're not obeying the laws that he's given you doesn't mean that you're okay. It means that you're actually worse off because you're condemning yourselves through your actions because more light has been given to you, more is required of you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Paul goes on in Romans, they even talk about, if I didn't know the law, then I wouldn't know what it is to sin.
0: Yeah, the law is, I think it says in the King James, the schoolmaster. Mm-hmm. I like I like that version of it, that's just kind of, I always remember that.
1: See, the King James is good for something still.
0: Yeah, if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh.
0: I do, on a side note, this is funny. So, if Romans listening to this, get a kick out of this. She was telling me that there was she encountered a Geneva onlyist.
1: A Geneva
0: onlyist. You ever heard of one?
1: I hadn't heard of that. Uh, I mean, someone
0: who believed that believes that the only Bible you should listen to is a Geneva Bible.
1: Right now, I'm trying to think of. All right, we'll take the rabbit show for a second. Okay. I'm trying to think of where that is in the line of history.
0: Well, you had the Wycliffe, which was first.
1: Okay, so it precedes the King James Version. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was yeah, trying it was to first.
0: Forget. It was actually when the Puritans had brought it over here. When mm-hmm. they came over, that was actually the Bible they had. Well, not necessarily they had. They probably had that or the Bishop's Bible. Mm-hmm. So they had those, and then the King James came later, much later.
1: All right. Cool so. little history tidbit there.
0: Kind of interesting. I was like, wow, that's amazing.
1: I didn't know that that was even a thing that people would still read that language.
0: Geneva Bible was the first Bible with study notes included at the bottom of the page. Yep. And the original King James just actually copied and pasted the footnotes. Yeah.
1: Things you get to learn all the time when you do stuff like this. It's kind of interesting. Okay. So, back to verse 7. Well... Get back to Lamentations.
0: So her consecrated ones were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ready in body than corals. Their their polishing was like lapis lazuli.
1: Yes, I had to look that one so.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us what, what is lapis lazuli, because I have actually never Googled it to look at it. <laughs> just in did. all my studying, I have never actually stopped and looked at it.
1: Well, when I was coming to this podcast, I was listening, and the way it was translated, and I don't even remember what I was using, but they kept saying sapphire. Mm-hmm. But when this says lapis lazuli, it says, it's a semi-precious stone valued for its deep blue color. The source of the pigment ultramarine is, it is not a mineral but a rock colored by lazarite. In addition to the sodalite minerals and lapis lazuli, Small amounts of white calcite and of pyrite crystals are usually present.
0: So it's probably, so it's blue with, with some with some glitter, like, almost.
1: I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. I mean, it could okay. look like a sapphire. Yeah. But I don't see. think it's specifically...
0: A sapphire. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, get a geology lesson yeah. and history lesson all in one day.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I was wondering what you were looking up over there.
1: (laughs) It says, better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger, for they pine Mm. away being stricken for the lack of the fruits of the field. How true is that? We talked about the other day how being burned alive and being (laughs) drowned were two of the worst (laughs) ways to go. Could you imagine wasting away because of how hungry you are too?
2: (sighs) No.
0: No, I mean, have you noticed? I don't skip very many meals, so I don't really know
1: yeah you're one to talk i'm even worse than you are but i mean we joke around about this but it's something that really does happen around us all the time
0: yeah hunger is a real thing
1: absolutely and not just in the united states big shocker it happens in the united states what um but it happens around the world yeah too and it's just amazing how often we don't really think about it because we get our three square meals a day pretty easily, and we're blessed enough to have that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we live in such a blessed society, but we do have homeless all around us. We have soup kitchen in... I believe we had one in Osage Beach. Believe we have one in Osage Beach. We also have one or in, in Camdenton. Sorry. I was like,
1: I think there's one in Camdenton.
0: Campton, yeah, in Osage Beach. And definitely know there was one in Springfield, a few in Springfield. Mm-hmm. So they're all around us. But interestingly... <laughs> You know, we have city ordinances and stuff where you're not supposed to see the homeless and they kicked them out and pushed them out. And I think that that's a great tragedy. I think sometimes it's okay to see to see that stuff.
1: Sometimes we need to see that sometimes stuff. we
0: need to see that stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, we kind of let our eyes get jaded to what's going around in the world. It's
0: easy to uh, imagine your room's clean if you push everything in the closet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's something that we easily forget, that there are things that are not what they always seem. And we forget about the and we forget about the things when our lives are going good. But when we really do struggle, that is when we start to notice things around us. Mm-hmm. Or we like to pick and choose what we want to see. I think that is the better one, too. Yeah. Yeah. We like to pick and choose what we want to help. We like to pick and choose what is wrong. Yeah. And I mean, some of that's ultimately due to our biases. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not getting up on a high horse and saying that <laughs> I'm perfect at it. But I know that I struggle with seeing what's right and what's wrong, or not what's right, but wrong things in society because there's stuff that my biases preclude me to hmm trying to get better at it but I ultimately know I have those biases and I know that they inflict the way I look upon the world
0: yeah we're doing a uh, history I can't talk about it because it's in my history class but it's supposed to be documents I'm not supposed to talk about so I'm not going to talk about them but <laughs> but I'm gonna Overarch them, and one of the things in the in the documents is that something that just as simple as, something as simple as showing up to church and not realizing how beautiful it is to see a multi ethnic people in there, and the people have had to fight to get to that point, and looking back, reading these this history, I realize the struggles they went through are now things that I take for granted in everyday life. And it's kind of brought to my attention to, you know, recount those blessings, those little things, little victories, things that the Lord has accomplished through his kingdom.
1: Right. Which as we see in verse 11, Mm -hmm. the Lord has accomplished his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger and he has kindled a fire in Zion, which has consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the inhabitants of the world, that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem.
0: Notice that the kings of the earth did not believe. Them in their hearts, they, they didn't believe they could accomplish what they did. But they did.
1: Mm-hmm. But what will test this to time and time again is because God was using them. God allowed for this to Mm -hmm. happen. And that's what God really proves in the old Testament time and time again, that why did Israel escape Egypt? It wasn't because Israel fought Egypt. It -hmm. wasn't because of what Moses and Aaron did, but it's because God was fighting for his people. He is a one man army and he Mm -hmm. was the one who showed himself as God in Egypt and was the one who brought them out. Yeah. Canaan. Ultimately, when the people try to do it in their own strength, time and time again, you see that they fail. But when they follow God fully, it's God is the one who provides. God is the one who helps them to win.
0: Look at Joshua, and as he goes in this conquest, what happens? Victory, 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 victory. Win. He obeys the Lord when he's placing God first.
1: Or when Israel's obeying the Lord after him. I mean,
0: I think that one of the, uh, just to capture that whole thing is is really what God did with Abraham. You know, God swears to Abraham that he will make him a father of, you know, a great nation and all these promises.
1: I think he says a father of many nations, many nations. not just a great yeah. nation. Mm-hmm.
0: And he you know, the Lord meets him and and they're going to walk through this covenant together and and what happens? He puts him under a deep sleep and the Lord walks through it alone. And he proves that it's on him, it's not on Abraham. The Mm -hmm. Lord will accomplish all this.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, you look, Abraham tried to accomplish it in his way through Hagar and Mm -hmm. her son, Ishmael. Mm -hmm. And
0: And all the Egyptians, think of the Sarah and uh, Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. and Sarah and the other, who was the other king?
1: Man, I'm drawing a blank, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God protects Abraham in those moments, even when Abraham had lied not once, but twice. Mm -hmm. I mean, God still fulfills his covenant through everything. Mm -hmm. And we'll see here that in Lamentations 4, at the end of it too, that God still holds to that promise as well as, I will curse those who curse you. I mean, he does it to Babylon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, by the end of this, King Nebuchadnezzar has been thrown out of his own kingdom by God to go and roam the earth like an animal. Mm-hmm. And then another king comes in. I don't know exactly the timeline of how this works, but the king uses the chalices from God's the temple, temple and he throws a writing on the wall. And what happens the next night? Or that very night, I he think gets,
0: he gets murdered. He
1: gets murdered, and the Persians take over.
0: Mm-hmm. And just think about it for a second: How many Babylonians do you see today? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see any.
1: The place of Babylon was is just arid desert now. It's just from nothing. what I understand, or I'm not very. But from what I was reading in mm-hmm. Richest Men of Babylon*, mm-hmm. the only reason Babylon made it through was because of the canals that they had made. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And but actually, the climate is kind of sort of like what it is in Nevada and Arizona. Wow. But that's because weird. they're right there on the Euphrates...
0: They managed to make canals and...
1: And that's how they got to till the land and make it fertile and things like that.
0: Wow. Interesting.
1: But but granted, you, that's one book, and it's not a history book. Well,
0: but you think of Babylon being one of the great world empires.
1: Right. I mean, when you think of Babylon, you think of the hanging gardens that they had and yeah. how beautiful those were. That those were one of the seven wonders of the world.
0: And now it can be re- now you can walk through the ruins of Babylon just like that. Mhm. Greece. You can walk through the the rubble of Greece and the you know, the largest the Roman Empire, the ruins of the Roman Empire, one of the greatest empires in the world has ever seen. It was an expanse that dominated pretty much all of Europe. All the known world, yeah. All the known world, and you can walk through its ruins in just a few hours. Right. That's amazing.
1: Just what God has done.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Okay. So why does all this happen? Verse 13. <clears throat> because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who have shed in her midst the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind in the streets. They were defiled with blood so that no one could touch their garments. Depart! unclean They cried out themselves. Depart! Depart! Do not touch! So they fled and wandered. Men among the nations said, They shall not continue to dwell with us. The presence of the Lord has scattered them. He will not continue to regard them. They did not honor the priests. They did not favor the elders. It really points back to You see it here in Lamentations of where God is condemning the prophets and the Mm priests for killing the innocent, killing the righteous, and following their own Mm judgments. I mean, isn't that what he says time and time again in Jeremiah? Mm -hmm. Is that, don't listen to these guys. They are prophesying out of themselves. I mean, even Ezekiel Mm -hmm. happens where he's going up against false prophets.
0: Yeah, and he has the the famous showdown.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But even Jesus refers back to this as well. I think it's in Matthew 23, isn't it? I mean, it's not specifically referring to Lamentations in general, but it's just following along these same lines of where, Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men. This is in verse 34. And scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you May fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and then you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
0: You see how they kill the prophets. The blood is on their hands.
1: The blood is on their garments.
0: On their garments. How despicable they truly are. The blood of the righteous, as it says in Lamentations. They wander blind in the streets. They were defiled with blood so that no one touched their garments. Depart, unclean, they cried of themselves. Depart, depart, do not touch. So they fled and wandered.
1: Isn't this kind of what the people who were also leprous supposed to do when they were in a public yeah. place? They were supposed to go...
0: Depart from me. Don't touch me. Unclean.
1: Unclean. unclean.
0: And essentially, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. We're unclean because of all the death all the blood everything's around us it's so encapsulating us we are completely unclean and you see the internal turmoil that's happened to this nation now become an exterior turmoil
1: mm-hmm. wow can you even come to the point where you realize that the nations realize that the presence of the lord is not with israel anymore
0: man i couldn't i couldn't imagine what that would what that would look like
1: I'm sure people say that about America right now Mm -hmm. because people want to claim, or I'm sure at one point in time, God, yes, was blessing America, helping America out. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of just hard to imagine that idea and remember that the way we act, the way we are shows if God is with us or not. Mm Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, you see that through the Old Testament time and time again, mm-hmm. I mean you see it in the New Testament as well. But how often do we really think about what does it mean to have the presence of God with us? Do we wonder what his presence really looks like when he's with us? It says, he will not continue to regard them. They did not honor the priests. They did not favor the elders. Yet our eyes failed. Looking for help was useless. In our watching, we have watched for a nation that could not save. They hunted our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were finished, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the the eagles of the sky. They chased us on the mountains, they waited in ambush for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we had said under his shadow we shall live among the nations.
0: You see the absolute, just demise, the swiftness of this. Really, the the covenantal punishment has been fulfilled. Now, mm-hmm. you know this is what was portrayed in Deuteronomy twenty-eight and Leviticus twenty-six. When nation would break the law of God, this is what would be the end result. And now this has come to its climax. It's 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 completed.
1: Right, it's kind of come full circle yeah. of where Israel's gone to its point where it has failed in its promise, mm-hmm. which ultimately I'm sure God had planned for. Yeah, did God wish it to happen? No, no. But God knew it was going to happen. Yeah, which is the only reason why Jesus Christ was yeah. allowed to come. Yeah, because I mean, once you see they get back from exile, there's never really a point of where they're back to where they're in perfect right standing before god right
0: yeah they just see things get worse and worse and worse
1: yeah to the point of when they have god standing in front of them they're more worried about how they look according to their own law rather than following god's law and seeing jesus standing right there in front of them Mm -hmm. so let's take a moment and realize or see that these last few verses don't talk about israel anymore in mm-hmm. fact, we've s- switched to her sister nation of Edom, which if you go back to your Old Testament Genesis, this would be Jacob and Esau, yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are Esau's descendants.
0: This is of the same family, distant, but they're still supposed to look after each other as brothers.
1: Mm-hmm. It says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, who dwells in the land of us." But the cup will come around to you as well. You will become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity has been completed, O daughter of Zion. He will exile you no longer, but he will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will expose your sins.
0: So as a brother is supposed to run to another brother's aid, Israel, who was in distress, Edom should have helped. Even even this is God's punishment. To to Israel, Edom had a task to fulfill, and they did not do it.
1: Right. In fact, they really helped out. They didn't yeah. even, they rejoiced in the fact that Israel had fallen. Yeah. Now, I'm sure Israel had done some things to where...
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they weren't innocent in the matter.
1: But still, you can understand that Israel wasn't, or Edom wasn't doing this from a perfectly unbiased un-sinful way. It's not like they were any better at following God than what Israel was. No. In fact, we'll see that because of what they had done, this really goes along with that curse that was pronounced, or blessing that was given to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Mm-hmm. That this judgment is being pronounced on Edom.
0: Yeah, they did not bless them. Instead, they cursed them. And Turned their feet away from them.
1: Right. So, made 11 episodes, and we have made it through chapter four of Lamentations. Can you believe we're almost done with our second series? Hmm. I mean, it's taken a long time. It has. It's kind of an interesting point.
0: I didn't realize that. That didn't hit me yet.
1: That we're almost done with Lamentations, and we're going to be moving on into church discipline. Mm-hmm. Or not. Not church discipline, spiritual disciplines. I was like, But church okay. discipline could be a part of that yeah. in some sense. Yeah, it's good. But what are some things that you've taken away from Lamentations right now?
0: I have taken away to rejoice even in my pain and suffering that there's, you know, I guess I can say that Speaking, I'm going to get kind of personal here, but going through lamentations at this point in my life that, you know, I have lost someone that's, that was loved that not that long ago. Going through lamentations has refocused kind of my mindset mm-hmm. while the pain and agony is temporal. I realized that God is absolutely perfectly in control and he has a plan his plan is accomplishing his glory and no matter my pain and suffering and anguish at the end of the day i have to trust in him and you know that's kind of the apex of what i've taken away from it and it's kind of cemented that even in the pain
1: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah the thing that's been most exciting for me through lamentations been slowly going through kingdom through covenant mm-hmm. by gentry and I think Willem is the other author. Stephen Willem? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stephen William and Peter Gentry. Is that what his name is? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. But re- going through that book and then listening to Nine Mark's podcast of Bible Talk as they go through the Old Testament mm-hmm. has just really opened up my eyes to how important understanding the story slowly really is to the New Testament. Like, I didn't really realize, like, it's not just about the sacrifice on the cross, but Jesus kind of goes through a new Exodus himself.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I never really completely caught that to the picture. Like, I never understood the importance of the feeding of the 5,000 until I really thought about, oh, yeah, God fed Israel while they're in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. manna and the quail. And that's kind of a similar.
0: Thing. I remember you saying that like last week and I was like, well, that was a really good point.
1: Yeah. I've never really thought about that mm-hmm. before. I mean, I understood the whole purpose of the 40 days of Jesus being tempted, mm-hmm. but the whole part. of the baptism, I didn't think to correlate that to how they walk through the Red Sea mm-hmm. or how they go through the Jordan. I mean, interesting things that yeah. you don't really get to pick up and see all the time yeah. unless you take the time to study it or Listen to somebody who's gone through that. Mm -hmm. And I think if that's one thing I've realized in reading The Rich Dad and Poor Dad and The Richest Man in Babylon is that I don't give enough desire sometimes and need to discipline myself more to really chase after God and to Mm -hmm. follow Him. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing better since we started this, but... I'm absolutely not perfect at it by any means.
0: Me either.
1: But, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we really enjoy doing this because it pushes us to be more disciplined. It pushes Mm -hmm. us to be more conformed. I mean, we get to learn new things about lamentations. We get to make points and jumps in context and really fit into that big narrative of what the Bible really talks about all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to get to do some biblical theology like this.
0: Anytime you can open up the Bible and see how everything is connected is just a wonderful thing.
1: Right. It's something that we have to realize we need to do more often, mm-hmm. that these aren't just separate stories that don't mm-hmm. correlate to one another at all.
0: Yeah. There was one author that they wrote them all.
1: Mm-hmm. God used human authors, mm-hmm. yes, but God's story correlates yeah. to one another yeah. all the time. And that's one of the grateful things that I'm really thankful for so ending on that note thanks for listening to anchored by faith guys you can find us on most major podcasting sites or find us at anchoredbyfaith.pod.com. feel free to be on the lookout for new podcasts and remember that idea that we're trying to accomplish here is to help you and us be more conformed to the image of God. my name is logan batisti
0: And my name is Colton Wright.
1: Guys, thanks for listening.
0: And God bless.